Hello and welcome to the Should I Go See It podcast, where every other Friday we take a deeper dive into the one-sentence reviews on shouldigoseeit.com. This week we'll be discussing the unbearable weight of massive talent and the Northman. I'm your host, Bill George. With me as always, AJ Rebecca and super producer Craig Stanton. Hello. What's going on, Bill? Not too much, AJ. How are you? Is it the Northman or the Northman? I was going to ask the same question. You had a weird... Did yes, I? It rolled off the well, tongue. Well, I mean, it's, isn't it like a Caribbean-Caribbean type of thing or a caramel and caramel? It could be. I think you could go either way. Sure could. Who thought we'd be talking about this? Uh, I Bill, don't know. What's, what's, what's been up? What have you been up to? Uh, well, I'm on vacation right now, AJ, which is outstanding. Love it. Uh, anything special? Anything on the books? What have you been up to? I have a trip coming up to Santa Fe, uh, but just prior to the vacation, I was infected with the COVID-19 virus. Oh, heard of it. How are you feeling? So uh, I'm feeling good now. You know, I, I was vaxxed and boosted going into it. So uh, symptoms were pretty minimal and now I am feeling great. So thank you for asking. So as a guy who normally plays video games, watches a lot of movies, enjoys meals, you know, out, like yeah. how did COVID change any of that? <laughs> well, going out to the movies became a problem. So I ended okay. up watching things at home instead. But the rest of my routine was yeah pretty well in place. That's uh, great. Uh, I was able to watch uh, a couple things. <laughs> I did a little uh, a little experiment uh, with my viewing. Ooh. And I watched Manhunter from 1986. Okay. Directed by Michael Mann. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I watched Red Dragon from 2002, if you remember that one. Uh, I don't, and I'm trying to grasp for the connection in my brain. So you're going to have to just explain to me what what we're doing here. So both are based on the same book, and both are sort of the introduction to Hannibal Lecter. Mm-hmm. And so Red Dragon was in 2002 with Anthony Hopkins reprising his role from Silence of the Lambs uh, as Hannibal Lecter. Okay. But Manhunter, which came before Silence of the Lambs, was sort of the first on-screen version of Hannibal Lecter played by Brian Cox, who we all know now from Succession, among other things. And so I wanted to go back and watch Manhunter because I had always wanted to see Brian Cox as Lecter, and I love Michael Mann as the director, the director of seminal classic Heat. Uh, and so I got to watch both and see how they compared. Wait, what? Uh, I, I what's the question? No, I'm just I I Google searched I Google image searched Manhunter Brian Cox and it's crazy to watch to see him as a young but he looks exactly the same and B as Hannibal Lecter. I know it's wild, and he actually the only disappointing part is he has less screen time than even. Hopkins did in Silence of the Lambs. He's on for like nine minutes. I was going to say, like Hopkins won for what? He was on screen for like 17 minutes, 13 minutes or something like that? Yeah. Yep. Wild. Okay, so, so they good? Uh, they're both good. They're both good in different ways. Uh, they both are also aged in different ways. So the 86 movie is obviously from the 80s, so the pacing's a little slower. The finale is like laughable in terms of the quote-unquote action at the end. Uh, it's it's it has some issues for sure that you would notice if you watched it today. The performances though in the '86 movie were were very good. I thought Brian Cox was great, and William Peterson uh, as Will Graham is really really good. He gives a very subtle performance, and that well the whole movie is a little more subtle uh, as opposed to the 2002 movie, which definitely feels like early 2000s movie making. It feels like a capital M movie, but you get but you get Hopkins as Lecter, which 
is obviously great and you're accustomed to. So yeah. they both do different things well. Uh, Ralph Fiennes is the bad guy in Red Dragon, and he's also better than his counterpart in Manhunter. So that's another oh, wow. advantage to the newer one. And Ed Norton plays Will Graham, the William Peterson yes. character. And Ed Norton does a good job as well. So they both have their, their merits. So it was interesting to kind of see how they use the same material. A lot of it is pulled directly and, and used directly the same way from the book. And then they tweak a couple things for the newer version to match with the times. But it worked out. You know, they're both they both really strong. Recommend both. And William Peterson was the guy who played Gil Grissom in CSI for like 40 years, correct? Yes. Okay. Yes. Right, yeah, you would definitely recognize him from that. That's where the name sounds familiar. Um, cool. Well, uh, sounds like a weird way to get over a virus. So I'm happy that you're feeling better. And <laughs> thank you. It's great that you can play these minds, these games in your mind to like pass the time. Yeah. Um, you know, just just watching stuff that I have not had a chance to. To, to watch that I always wanted to. Blind spots, cultural blind spots that I wanted to revisit, including Manhunter. Love it. Uh, let's take a look at uh, what's in the news. Yeah, let's dig in. The new owners of all things Batman, Superman, and Wonder Woman are exploring an overhaul of DC Entertainment. Since Discovery closed its $43 billion deal for Warner Media, top leadership have been toying with the idea of turning DC into its own solidified content vertical, i.e. MCU, i.e. all the great Marvel shows that are on Disney+. This would potentially affect DC feature film development in an effort to have separate DC elements more closely aligned in order to maximize the value of the superhero stable. Bill, if you were the new CEO and in charge of DC films and television, what's your next move? Are you clean slating, blowing everything up and going back to the beginning? Or are you just going through the motions and figuring out how to get everything back on track? It's tough, man. It's tough. And and I feel like clean slate might be the only way, given the other news recently with Ezra Miller, because they have basically built their franchise around... Ezra Miller, and he might be doing three to five in San Quentin. Like, who knows? Does this guy just go around Hawaii fighting locals? I have no idea. <laughs> but he keeps popping up in the news, and they've built their entire franchise around the future movies with Ezra Miller. So that's going to be <laughs> tricky. I I don't think that they should do, like, a reboot in the hopes of trying to recreate the Infinity Saga. Like, the Marvel Infinity Saga did it first. They're done. It's already over. They've already moved on. So the idea of DC trying to still play catch up and do like a Justice League movie where they introduce everybody individually, like I don't think that's going to fly. I don't I don't think I think people are over that. I think the expectations of superhero movies have changed since then. I think they need to move on. I actually like more what they've been doing lately where you take properties like Joker or like The Batman and you give them to talented directors and let them tell an interesting story that use those characters. And I don't think they need to go into the move, making movies as chess pieces because clearly Marvel has already done that and done it well. I think you got to steer in the opposite direction. Just tell, don't be afraid to just tell a good story. You have a zillion stories. Like the DC world is full of amazing stories that they could tell if they just had the guts to just tell one. Yeah, I think for playing devil's advocate as like a studio exec right is that are you willing to go punch for punch and like deal with the there's obviously going to be bad movies right there's gonna be bad films standalones that come out like are you willing to weather the bombs to make sure that you start getting into a cadence of good storytelling through good actors and good directors or do you honestly do what marvel has done and i don't even care about 
we we know this from if you listen to the show. Not a big fan of the cinematic universe, the movie side. On the flip side, I've watched every single original series that have come out on Disney Plus, and they're all ten out of ten shows, right? Yeah, and yep. it's like the proof is in the pudding. Like if it's if it's done and it's done well, and there's a vision behind it, you can do it. But like in that aspect, you're gonna have to stop the presses. You're gonna have to get a team involved to figure out like what does the long term play look like. You're gonna have to have showrunners for each show. You're gonna have amazing actors that back up each each show, right? And Marvel was doing that all in the background while they had a twenty what twenty two twenty three movie arc that played out in the movies they were they were in the background on tv figuring out how it, it's going to play once that saga gets over dc doesn't have that time so if they were to go the 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 stop and rebuild route they're going to lose what i would assume three years. four five years on yeah. making that happen and by that time like are you giving the whole market share over to marvel and hoping that when you come back into it you can take a bigger bite out of the pie i don't know that's way above my pay grade but <clears throat> yeah it's hard because of the lag time, because they're already, the movies that they make are so big, they take a couple of years to make yeah. them. And so now we already have, they just, uh, at, a, at a recent convention, they started to show footage of the next Aquaman and the Black Adam movie and the next Shazam. So like they already have all these movies done that have to come out over the next couple of years. And if they wanted to get TV shows in the works, that would also take a couple of years and then they'd have to come out. So no matter what, there's a lot of time involved. I think at this point, they probably are going to, hold course and see what happens with like Flashpoint, like the next big Flash movie that is supposed to kind of anchor the other Aquaman and Shazam movies and all those things. I think they got to see how it does. Flashpoint, is that when he goes in, is that when he goes into a Hawaiian restaurant and starts a grease fire to kill all the <laughs> occupants inside? Because that is apparently what he's trying to do to... That, yeah, that'll be in the... What's wrong with this guy? Director's cut. I don't know. I don't know. He like went to karaoke, got drunk, and then threw a chair at a woman. Yeah, I heard about the <laughs> chair throwing. Yes, I did hear about that. And yelling at someone else who was singing karaoke. It's it's wild. It's wild. But I don't know. I think that I think that I would like for them to just make a good story. Like they have Mark Wade's take on Superman. They have All Star Superman. They have the Court of Owls. They have Kingdom Come, which is one of my favorites. Then they have all the weird ones like Red Sun or Gotham by Gaslight. Like they have so many amazing stories that they could tell with just with just Batman or Batman and Superman. And they haven't because I think they're too scared that like of what happened before and what will happen in the future in terms of like setting up the right things and setting up the right stories. It's like, just tell one story, see how it goes. Joker made a billion dollars. Like, you know, it can work. Yep. So that's what I would do. I would lean into that, but, uh, but we'll see. We'll see. I think, I think they'll have to wait and see how the next couple movies that they already have in the can work out. And if they are big losers, they'll have to revamp. And if they do well, they can keep going. Love it. Uh, other news, AJ. Uh, Netflix released their Q1 results, and they were not pretty. Instead of gaining subscribers, they lost 200,000 of them. Their stock plummeted, and Netflix announced a plan to crack down on password sharing and add new lower-priced plans that incorporate advertising. So, AJ, this begs the question, is this the beginning of the end of Netflix's dominance as the de facto streamer service? You know what you need? You need someone like Elon Musk to just buy up that property and really turn it around. Yeah, you know, yeah. infuse that QAnon, OANN, right wing fucking. Just make a quick $40 billion Just do it. Just walk away. I had this epiphany the other day when I went on to Netflix and I was just looking for something to watch. And it used to 
it used to highlight all of the amazing things that Netflix was doing. And that was like original series. Like I'm thinking about mm-hmm. Narcos. I'm thinking about Ozark. I'm thinking about Tiger King shit. Like all the things that made Netflix just like a powerhouse when it came to original content. Right. And now the shit that's being pushed to me is all like trash TV. It's like it's yeah. it's e-entertainment that allows swearing and blurred out nudity. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. Like love is blind. Um, like this weird sex island thing where like you the longer you're there the and you don't hook up the more money you get yeah like i don't want that like netflix can and will make really good original content but when you're putting out trash like expect to get trash in return and like it was just one of those things where it's like what are, what are these people doing like yeah, why are they investing yeah. their time and their money into this stuff that's probably unrelated to the fact like i know they're changing their their password requirements and cracking down on sharing and stuff like that. People are always going to find a way around that. But like, I think it comes down to content first. Like if your content's bad, like people are going to leave the platform because they can go to somewhere else, another one of the eight different streaming services and probably find similar movies or similar content on just a variation of of a different streaming service. Yeah, I think for the longest time, it felt like Netflix was the default one. Like everybody had Netflix and then some people also had everybody. Hulu. Some people added something else, but Netflix was like the mainstay for everybody. And I think that's changing. I think that this is an indicator that that's, that's changing. And I think you're right. I think they are focused on, uh, basically the, 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 the phrase that's, that's going around now is the content buffet is what a lot of streamers are, are kind of, uh, leaning into where, it doesn't really matter how good the content is. They focus on, do they have enough variety and do they have it constantly stocked? It's like a buffet in Vegas. They just need everything. It doesn't, they don't need to f- spend the time to make a great filet or a great steak as long as they have a steak option. They just, just pump out content as if it's a buffet. And the more that that happens, the more you lose the, the effort that went into those first few series that really set the tone, like Stranger Things originally, uh, Mind Hunter, for instance, like those are amazing series. They put the effort in, and now they're just trying to push as much content as possible, and they're losing their way. And when you don't have that original content that's as interesting anymore, people are going to leave. It's that simple. Well, it's forcing me to watch stuff that isn't as good. Like the girl from Plainville and the Dropout. Well, if you look at top tier Netflix, right, like the ones you just said, the girl from Plainville and the Dropout are like <laughs> not even close. <laughs> No, they don't even hold yeah. a candle to those those groundbreaking original series. But like, I'm watching those shows because there's no other good content on Netflix yeah, right that, now. Yeah, every time I load Netflix, I just spend 15 minutes scrolling through it and then going somewhere else. Like, I can't remember the last thing I sat down and watched on Netflix. So I'm not surprised that they would have lost so many subscribers over the last quarter, and I would not be surprised if they lose more. In a letter sent to HBO and executive producer Adam McKay, basketball icon Jerry West's attorney contended that the show Winning Time falsely and cruelly portrays Mr. West, Mr. West as an out-of-control, intoxicated rageaholic. The Jerry West in Winning Time bears no resemblance to the real man. End quote. I forgot the beginning quote, but end quote. Uh, in the communication, West demands a retraction, apology, and damages from HBO. Bill, is it fair to request damages because you don't like how you're portrayed on a dramatized TV show? Or should everyone just take a breath and have this superstar of sports just relax? Uh, I think he's right to be angry. I think he's right to want an apology. And hell, give him some damages too. Like What? Yes. 
He come on. Here's the issue. He's still alive. <laughs> He's like working in basketball. It's not like they're doing Thomas Edison or fucking Joan of Arc or something where you can just depict them however you want. This is a living, breathing human being who has to fucking go out into the world and go to the supermarket and whatever. And every Sunday night, he's on HBO depicted as an absolute like lunatic yelling and screaming. Like, it's not right. It's not right. You can't use their real name and then depict them so far out of reality. Like, if you wanted to make a composite character, sure, and use a fake name... And then you can do whatever you want. But you need a level of responsibility if you're going to depict an actual human being <laughs> I didn't out in the realize, world. I didn't realize he was still alive. <laughs> like a yes. contributing member of the National Basketball <laughs> Association. He's the logo. Oh, yeah. Okay. Uh, it's, and and it's, it's high time that Adam McKay and people of his ilk t- are taking a task oh, well, with how I mean, fast and loose they play re- with recent history. This is bullshit from the show notes because you wrote the question and I know how much you hate Adam McKay. So I feel like this is completely skewed right now. Maybe. But the point is, now you have every Laker in history coming out of the woodwork saying the entire show is horseshit and and that no one consulted them. So you're telling me you're going to make an HBO series for millions of dollars an episode based on the Showtime Lakers and you're not going to interview or chat or consult with the Showtime Lakers for insight? Like, are these people stupid? Like, who is making this show? Here, okay, can I can I ask a follow-up question of that? Please, please. Uh, Pam and Tommy, Hulu, right? We heard nothing from the, the, from the Pam Anderson camp that this portrayal of her was incorrect, right? True, and they did attempt to consult with her. She just, she decided not to participate. So what I'm saying is, like... Is this just bad writing and bad portrayal, or is th- this a precedent for what are the requirements to dramatize a person's life while they're still alive? I think that because we now, to use your example, we've now seen it done twice, and in one instance, the person is is threatening litigation to the point of saying that they'll take it all the way to the Supreme Court, and then... Pam, who decided she'll, she ended up making a documentary with Netflix that will come out in the future that will tell her side. But she didn't yell and scream about the show either. So I think, I think there, there just needs to be more responsibility than this when you are making, or at least, at the very least, HBO could have come out and said, hey, you know what? Jerry West has a point. Maybe we were a little far afield. We do apologize, whatever. Instead, HBO came out and said, it's not a documentary. It's a dramatization. Tough luck. And like, it stuck to their guns. That was the latest news story on this. And I just. I don't understand why you couldn't do both of those things. You know what I mean? It's like you could be like, you know, we apologize if we. I don't know. You could you could do both. You don't have to say F you because because to your point, to their point, I guess it's not a documentary. But like you can be accountable for the portrayal. Like it's not like HBO doesn't right. know that they're portraying a lunatic. But how do you get that so wrong? Like how do you? How do you? Like I know th- that's what by not researching it or not caring if you got it right. It sounds like that's how you get it that wrong. Yeah, I guess. Like you could cherry pick though. Like you could find twenty people from my life that were like that guy's a fucking asshole, right? And if you got the, <laughs> yeah. the those twenty opinions, two of them are on this podcast. Yeah, <laughs> you can paint a picture, right? You're not asking all the all the people. You're asking a group of people that you want to use as as sources to back up the actions that you took. Yeah, yeah, you could, but they didn't. Like, you're not gonna talk to Magic Johnson or Kareem Abdul-Jabbar when you're making a show about the Showtime Lakers. Like, are these people are 
out of their minds. How is that legal? I, not to get all sidetracked, like how is it legal to put their names in it if they didn't have any sign on? Bird law. <laughs> I don't know. I guess because it's a dramatization, they can do it's freedom of speech. I guess I have no idea. Have you have you watched through all of the end credits of Showtime? Of yeah, of one of the episodes. I only watched the first episode, and I came on this show, and I said something feels wrong, and I don't like it, and I never went back. Good instincts. Yeah, and I was and I was spot on. So no, I've not come back and watched. I it. just wonder if there's anything at the end of the credits that explain this has a byline or disclaimer that this was a dramatization. Oh, bit. I think they do that in the open. I think they say like, oh, this is. I mean, come on, right there. You just protect yourself. It does like the based on real events, but we but some of the scenes and dialogue was. You know, dramatized. This blah, case blah, 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 blah. is dismissed. Yeah, no, he has bitches. no. He has no case. He has no case. He's not going to get damaged. It's not going to. It's going to get thrown out in court. There's no doubt about it. But I, I agree with his his assessment. In the court of Sigzi, is does he have a case? <laughs> That's right. <laughs> in the, in the, That's right. Objection sustained. <laughs> uh, let's talk about movies. You want to talk about movies? Let's get into it. All right. Let's two movies it. this week. We have the unbearable weight of massive talent. And how did you say it? The Northman. <laughs> the Northman. The Northman. The Northman. Uh, let's start with the 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 latter. Uh, the Northman. According to IMDb.com from visionary director Robert Eggers comes The Northman, an action-filled epic that follows a young Viking prince on his quest to avenge his father's murder. Bill, should I go see it? Yes. I'm going to give it a yes, but it is a soft yes. Mm. It is how, not for, how soft are we talking? <laughs> it's not for everyone, and it is far from perfect. But that being said, I still really enjoyed it. I mean, it's your classic revenge story. It's got elements of Hamlet, but it's all within the context of Norse culture and some Norse mythology. Uh, so some of the good, the good things in it, great performances from everybody, including Anya Taylor-Joy, who... She's always had sort of like an otherworldliness to, to her look, and she kind of lends, and that lends itself to a role like this. So I thought she was really good in it. The action is gruesome and fantastic, and the finale especially is thrilling. And there's some fantastical elements to it, which is now commonplace for Eggers. So like you mentioned, the visionary director behind it, Robert Eggers, this is his third film. Previously, he had done The Witch uh, and The Lighthouse. So he carries over some of the fantastical elements he's dabbled in those two films in terms of rituals and visions and things like that. So I really enjoyed it, uh, but it is a little long. And, you know, if you're not bought into it, you might actually find some of it a little goofy or over the top. And uh, one other thing I'll note that was like a little strange. It seemed like a lot. So a lot of it takes place at night. A lot of it is dark. But a lot of it also seems like it was sort of day for night shooting. Yeah. That happens a lot. A movie that takes place at night in the dark, this movie does a lot of the time, but they actually shoot it during the day so they have enough sort of information for the camera, so to speak, and then they just in post, they darken it uh, to make it look like night. But that lends itself to basically having like a bluish hue over everything all the time, and it just kind of feels off. But you can't, but obviously it makes sense because you want to show what's on the screen. You can't have it like pitch black the whole time. But it just ends up with this bluish yeah. look, and it just kind of is odd. So all the daytime shooting is gorgeous, but the, the day for night stuff's a little, little weird. Yeah, I remember I was watching behind the scenes for um, 
knives out and that's what they did they shot all the nighttime scenes during the day and they kind of showed how like they had to do it in post and if you have a careful eye like right the moon doesn't do that or the reflections aren't like that or like you said there's a bluish cast or like the way that reflections hit or like yeah it felt off doesn't look the same um it's a trick um a few things i want to ask you about the northman um first of all the the theatrical poster is fucking hysterical the reason why is underneath the key art it's like from visionary director robert eggers written by robert eggers like like scored and conceptualized by robert eggers like what i i understand he's done a lot of cool things two of them like do you think he deserves that kind of like uh that's what i'm looking for clout uh i would say so i mean i think i think the witch I mean, really did put him on the map in a big, bad way. And I think the lighthouse, uh, critically at least, was very, very successful. And I think he's one of the only, you know, he's one of few directors, along with people like Nolan and uh, Michael Mann and whoever else, where, like, they're doing their own thing. They're out there doing their own thing, which is just is worth celebrating uh, compared to everybody that's stuck in different franchises or stuck in the, the Hollywood studio rut. So him making original movies with original screenplays uh yeah sure i'd throw the name out there uh well you talked about day for night shooting would you rather have a movie full of day for night shooting or would you rather have the real raw intensity of let's say the long night from game of thrones (laughs) in this case the amount of story that takes place in the Nighttime, I would rather take day for night to at least see it. If it was like a one scene or a one action sequence, then I think like the reality of nighttime and torch lit and all that stuff would be cool. But when they're doing so much of the story in this way where it's at night, uh, I didn't mind it in terms of at least being able to see things compared to <laughs> compared to that episode of Game of Thrones. Got it. Uh, for any time you have a soft yes, right? I usually ask a question of like, why couldn't it just be a no? Like this. This podcast is the fact for any person can go and get a babysitter or go to the theater and watch a movie. Like if it's going to be that much of a soft yes, like wouldn't you just wait for it to come on HBO streaming or on Netflix or on whatever and catch it then? For some people, absolutely. But I think that the the movie is entertaining enough. And, and in some cases, not the night stuff, the day stuff is gorgeously shot. And the finale, like I said, is very thrilling. And I love the action uh, and the gruesomeness of it. Like, it definitely sucked me into seeing it on a big screen. It's a big spectacle. It's a lot of open vistas and, and beautiful Norse imagery that I think it, if you are interested in it just by looking at the poster or watching the trailer, then absolutely yes. For someone who was on the fence to begin with, that's where the soft part comes in, where it's like, all right, well, in that case, maybe you wait just because it's a little too long. Anything like, I mean, you talked about how Robert Eggers is a, a true visionary and the fact that everything is new, right? There's no reboots. There's no reimagines. It's, it's all from uh, from his head. Anything in this realm in terms of revenge, Norse mythology type thing? I feel like there's a weird niche category, but anything that is similar to this? Yeah. <laughs> I, I, so I would, taking the Norse piece out of it, because I think that is what sets it apart, if you wanted something that is actually tonally similar and story-wise, I guess, kind of similar, The Revenant uh. would be the, sort of the closest comparison I can think of where it's it's outdoors, it's beautiful vistas, it's somebody 
Death's in a tough spot trying to get back to get revenge. Uh, I would say The Revenant is a pretty close comparison, but this adds that that fantastical element of the Norse culture. I like that description of The Revenant. It's just a guy in a tough spot looking looking to settle things. <laughs> just looking to sell the score. All right, Bill, the second movie uh, this week is The Unbearable Weight of Massive Talent. So according to imdb.com, in this action-packed comedy, Nicolas Cage plays Nick Cage, channeling <laughs> channeling his iconic characters as he's caught between a superfan and a CIA agent. Uh, Bill, should I go see it? This is a yes. But there is a distinct caveat to this, yes. You have to like Tiffany Haddish and Nicolas Cage. <laughs> so we'll get to the Tiffany Haddish piece later. Um, your appreciation for this film will entirely depend on how much you like Nick Cage. And you like the persona that Nick Cage has developed more recently. And how familiar you are with the work of Nick Cage. Those are all going to be a factor. Oh, so you it's truly like... It's like fan service for Nicolas Cage fans. Basically. Yeah, like did he he didn't he didn't even direct it. So someone pitched him this idea of this movie is about you playing you, infatuated with you and the life of you, but we're just gonna add Tweak a it. weird nonfiction element to it or yeah. fiction element yeah, to it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. I mean, if you if you're into Nick Cage, you'll love this movie, and I enjoy. I'm it. not like into Nick Cage. Like I'm not like sweating over Nick Cage. Who is? Who hears that and says, "Yeah, that's me." I'm in. <laughs> like, is that Bill? I mean. I'm fond of Nick Cage, especially his early work. I grew up watching Con Air and The Rock, which I worshipped both of when I was a youngster. Like, I'm a Nick Cage fan. I'm not a super fan, but I've recognized all of the movies that they mentioned in the film and sort of the Easter eggs they threw out there about Nick Cage's career. So I was I was into it. So I enjoyed the film. It's 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 silly. It's goofy. It's over the top. He knows it's over the top. That's what makes it fun is he's playing a character of himself. And Pedro Pascal in it, he's a treat. He's always, he's excellent in everything he does. Sure, of course. The Tiffany Haddish and the other CIA operative, whose name I forget, their subplot feels a bit superfluous. Um, You could have had Nick Cage, you could have had a lot of the same story beats without that CIA piece driving it. It was an unnecessary layer to me that did not add much or work really well. So I would have taken that out. Uh, But as is, the script is pretty smart. It's pretty clever in how they deployed Nick Cage. Um, so it's funny. So I enjoyed it. If you do not like Nick Cage, you're going to go in, you're going to roll your eyes, and you're going to absolutely loathe this movie. But if you're a fan of him and his work, then it's 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 almost like a silly version of adaptation. Well, and that's what I'm trying to... Th- that's all I can think about in my head is like, I feel like adaptation was yeah, this kind of weird look, almost like the being John Malkovich thing. It's like a look inside Nick Cage's head without saying that we're looking inside the true Nick Cage's head. You know what I mean? Yeah, this is a a more stylized version of It sounds that, like we don't basically. need it. It sounds like it was already done with adaptation, which won a lot more awards and got a lot more recognition and is considered probably a top 100 movie of the last, what, 25 years? Oh, yeah. I mean, adaptation's in my top... Yeah. What are we doing here? This time. sounds like, so it's, it's, fucking it's stupid. It's absolutely phenomenal. <laughs> this is stupid. It's but it's like stupid fun, stupid. Am I saying it's it's better or on the same plane as adaptation? No, adaptation's an all time first ballot Hall of Famer. This is just a goofy, funny 
comedy. It's a comedy. AJ, it's comedy. I know. I don't need it though. Like I don't. I don't. The universe doesn't need this at all, and that's what my problem is. My problem is you're always on the podcast telling me that I hate joy. And here I am trying to tell you here's an enjoyable comedy. But it's a it's not it's a, it's not like it's a joy around like a good meal or uh, a walk on the beach or a nice vacation. It's joy around Nicolas fucking Cage. <laughs> well, some people really like Nick Cage. Okay, well, what wh- what's what's on the horizon? I can't. <laughs> I gave him enough credit for fucking Pig and Gone in sixty seconds. Yep, and mm-hmm. fucking all great uh, National Treasure. That's all in an adaptation. There you go, buddy. Yeah, you love. See, it sounds like you would be a prime demographic for this film. That's the only four that I appreciate: The Rock, ugh. Con Air. Ugh. What else did he do? Eight millimeter. Ugh. <laughs> Fuck him. Okay. All right. All right. What's on the horizon? What are we watching? We're watching a lot of the same stuff. We're watching the same stuff. Exciting. Yeah. We are watching. Uh, I'll start with Moon Knight. Ugh. Luna, you talked about I the fact you? that you watch every Marvel show. Here we are. I am just over the moon Hey-o. for this show because we get an MCU show mm-hmm. that has shown no tie-in or no kind of connection to any other entity we've seen before. It's standalone. It's its own thing. I love uh, the whole kind of Egyptian, what's the word I'm looking for? Motif. Motif mythos around it. Uh, Oscar Isaac is a goddamn national treasure. Um, he's he one of the best actors working today, if not the best actor working today. It, it just Ethan Hawke, the resurrection of the Hawk, the Hawkster. Yeah, Hawk's he's hawking, baby. Um, it's just good. It's just really good. And I've uh, I'm caught up, except for the one from this week. But I'm excited to watch it. Uh, Bill, what's what's your thoughts? What's your take? I really enjoy it. Uh, so I did. I was able to watch this week. So I'm now. I've watched five episodes out of the six that will occur. So I'm ready for the finale at this point, and it's really, really good. I think the, I, I like you said. I think the disconnect so far, at least. I don't know how it. I mean, eventually may tie in or not, but just the fact that they are telling a standalone story as of now, with the same sort of prowess and filmmaking capability that they've brought to everything else. Uh, is really great, and Oscar Isaac is outstanding in in a role that requires a lot of heavy lifting, uh, and he makes it look easy. He's so good in it, and yeah, I, I've really enjoyed it. It's been a, it's been a fun ride. Uh, what else? What else are we watching that's the same? Uh, Barry season three started. Ah, oh. Barry the HBO dark comedy. Back after th- uh, almost a two and a half three year hiatus because of. COVID and a whole bunch of stuff, but Barry's back. Uh, Showrunner, Bill Hader, his kind of big endeavor after Saturday Night Live, both mean you're huge Barry fans. I think I was the one who got you on to Barry. You probably did. They told you that you need to watch this, but um, a strong uh, first episode into this next season, a really good continuation of all the great things we saw before. We were talking earlier, um, the pace and the tone and the style of Barry has been consistent from the first episode in the first season. And they know exactly yep. how to write for the characters. They know exactly the pacing of the comedy. And they know just how like dark and funny they can make it and how they kind of bleed that line. Also, there are some actors and actresses on that show that have chops that are yes. well, uh, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? They don't get the, the credit underrated. they deserve. They're underrated, yeah. I mean, yeah. 
Bill Hader has a massive range. Yep, we've seen that for sure. Um, the the woman who plays Sally, she is outstanding. Like she needs her own show. She needs movies. Like give her every part there is. Like she blows me away every time she's in that show. Particularly in this season three premiere, she has an absolutely incredible sequence. Oh my God. Uh, she, yeah, uh, she's she's the highlight of the show for me at this point. She's so Sarah- good. Yeah, Sarah Goldberg. Sarah uh, Henry Winkler plays Gene uh, Cousineau, uh, the acting coach, and he is like, yeah. Every time he's on screen, you just smile from ear to ear because yeah, he's just it's Henry Winkler, fucking hysterical. And then you also have like Anthony Kerrigan playing No Hope, uh, No Hank. Uh, you have Stephen Root playing um, Fuchs. It's just, it's just yeah. good TV. It's a great show. It's a great show. I, if if someone asked me, is getting an HBO Max subscription worth it just to watch Barry? I would say 100% because it's that good yeah. of a show. It's great. It knows, like you said, it knows exactly what it wants to be, and it and it executes, and it's fantastic. And this is only the third season. Third season, and they're pretty short seasons. I think maybe eight episodes, if that. So fairly low cost of entry there for some half hour, to- half hour episodes, dark comedy. Yeah, um, it's it's great. Uh, what's on the horizon? So tomorrow, as of this recording, I'm going to see Memory, new action flick with Liam Neeson, directed by Martin Campbell, which makes it worth seeing to me because Martin Campbell directed Goldeneye, which was one of the best James Bond movies, and start, restarted the franchise with Pierce Brosnan. And he directed Casino Royale, the other great Bond movie where he restarted the franchise with Daniel Craig. And more recently, he directed The Protégé, which was one of my favorite films of last year. So he knows his way around an action flick. Liam Neeson <laughs> certainly knows his way around an action flick by now. Oh, my God. This guy is still getting uh, And I think Guy Pierce is in it, if I'm not mistaken. There's somebody else in it that I was excited to see. Uh, so I have a ticket to see that tomorrow and hoping for the best. And then the other big one is uh, you and I both have tickets to see Doctor Strange 2, Multiverse of Madness together when that comes out uh, in a week or so. AJ is doing the hand motions of Doctor Strange right now. Uh, <laughs> I've watched only 20 seconds of the trailer. I'm gonna, I didn't watch any yes. else. Yes. I'm going in fresh just like you are. Can't wait to eat some peanut M&Ms and drink some Jameson. <laughs> Doctor Strange. So excited. All right, Bill, take us away. <laughs> Thank you all so much for listening to the Should I Go See It podcast. Please make sure to follow on Instagram at Should I Go See It. Should I Go See It.